you're chillin' and uh, you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and the accent on a positive. And gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing the attitude of doing right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. This podcast is sponsored by Four Data, a Canberra-based company that is committed to ensuring business owners have reliable and professional IT services. I'm a client of Four Data. I use their website hosting services, and I'm also reducing my email spam with their secure email hosting service. As a special offer to the Joyful Frugalista podcast listeners, Four Data will provide wherever you are website hosting at twelve dollars a month and up to two hours initial free migration service, valued at $300. Find them online at number 4data.com.au. 4data, they fix IT. Hello, Frugalisters, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest who is joining me from Singapore. Welcome, Eric Sim. Hey, Serena. Thanks for having me. It's really great pleasure to, to come here. Yeah. Really, the honour is mine. And just to give some people some background, Eric is perhaps the most popular and well-known banker in Asia. He has over 2 million followers on LinkedIn, which is kind of how I met him because I read something that he had written on LinkedIn. So he's a regular LinkedIn poster and he's got a newsletter on LinkedIn and it really resonated with me and I liked it a lot. Now, at this stage, I didn't know he had more than 2 million followers and I saw we had friends in common. So I sent him a message to say, look, I really liked what you'd written. And then I asked him on the podcast, not knowing at this stage still about how popular he was. And he said to ask back later in the year. And I did. And thankfully for me and for you listeners, he has said, yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how things work out, isn't it? (laughs) It really is quite a delight. And just to give some background into Eric's career and why he's going to be such a fabulous guest today, his banking career has included being appointed Managing Director of the Hong Kong-based UBS Investment Bank. He's founder now of Institute of Life, which teaches young professionals, especially in the banking sector, how to become more successful at work and at life. He is also a senior career fellow at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, and he is a guest lecturer at Renmin University in Beijing. And we were just talking also about some of his teaching that he does at Cambridge University in the United Kingdom. So certainly he has a lot to share about finance. I, I hope I can share, share something. And uh, thank you for inviting me. I know you invited me a few months ago at that time I was held up, got quite a lot of webinars going on. Now that I don't need to be present in that location, so I've got invitation from Spain, from Turkey, from Middle East coming through, and now is a good time. I'm, I'm glad we are doing this. And to the audience out there, really nice to, to, to join this podcast, and I hope I share something that may be useful for you. I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of wisdom to share. So maybe let's start at the beginning, which is, how did you get into banking? Were you like a super smart, like maths nerd student, or did you come from a wealthy banking family? I did okay in the university, but before that, I failed my mathematics when I was in high school. 
I worked really hard. The following year, I went on to fail my uh, English. And the reason why I got so many followers on on social media on LinkedIn is because I write in very simple English, short sentences, in order to minimize a mistake. And that somehow attracted readers. I think readers like simple languages. Sometimes uh, there are many readers who are not native in English, so they they find. My writing very easy to understand, and especially if they are reading on the way to work, they don't have to think too much. They get the message. And talking about a family, yeah, my father helped me to get into banking.、Uh, not because he comes from a banking background. In fact, he was、uh, selling street food in Singapore. In in Singapore, we call it the the hawker center. Maybe、mm-hmm. in Australia, you might have seen the food court. So a hawker center is open air. You have ten, twenty hawker stores coming together, each one selling their noodles or or rice. So my father sold prawn noodle for thirty years. Wow, delicious! Yeah, I I help him every Sunday, as well as、uh, every public holiday. So on Christmas Eve, while other kids are out partying, I have to sleep because on Christmas Day. I need to wake up early to go and help him. So same for first of January and any other holidays in Singapore, including Chinese New Year. So my father rests、uh, one day a year, which is on the first day of Chinese New Year. So he works three hundred and sixty-four days on a non-leap year. Wow, that's、uh, that's how I grew up with, and I learned from him hard work. Work ethics, dealing with customers, and how to read people because in Singapore is a multi-racial society,、mm-hmm. and you got people speaking different languages, different Chinese dialect, and I I need to be culturally aware of, of that, and of course, growing up in that type of family. You are also very careful with your money、mm. uh, because my my mother will walk maybe five hundred meters to the next provision shop in order to save ten or twenty cent. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine things must have been tough when you're relying on that cash based income and relying on the good weather. I guess you know if it's a typhoon or something, probably not so many people going out to the food court. Yeah, there's no typhoon, but when it rains, it affects business. Definitely. I guess it must be hard when you see other people your age going out and having fun, and you're there helping with the noodles. It must have been difficult growing up. I don't mix with a lot of people, so I, actually I do not know people's life. Yeah, except for the prawn noodle customers. So <laughs> I do not know how my classmates are doing. Are they living in big houses? You know, do their parents come and pick them up? I've got no clue because I I don't go out with them. It's、uh, either doing my homework or helping my parents. And are you still a good cook? Do you still like making noodles? What's your What's your go to dish? Yeah, I I don't cook so much now, but、uh, I enjoy cooking. I when I was living in Hong Kong, I was making a lot of Singapore dishes. Yeah, which I couldn't get when I was、uh, I was there. Yeah, I make Hainanese pork chop. I will make the famous Singapore chicken rice. Oh, I love Singapore chicken rice. Actually, I found a Singapore lady here in Canberra who makes it, and it's she's quite authentic. So the rice is 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 cooked properly, which is the telling bit, as you know. 
I know you've written about this, about when you were first a banker, that it was hard when you had to do things like book restaurants because you never had that sort of experience then. Yeah, because I eat at the hawker centre, you know, like street food or home-cooked food. I've never been to a restaurant. So when I was first asked my, by my boss in my first job to book a restaurant, I co-op the restaurant. I say I want to book a table for four people, you know, two, me and my boss, and then we have two customers two customer coming as well. So I elaborate, no, if, if we are late, can you tell my customers to just hang on, we'll be coming, you know, I give a lot of this type of instruction. So my, my colleagues who was listening to my phone conversation, they were laughing away as if, you know, re- the restaurant staff is going to care about who is coming, you know, just 4% is good enough. They, they don't need all the details. So that's uh, how ignorant I was back then. Well, it's not nice if your colleagues to make fun of you. I, I must say, like, not everyone comes from the same point of privilege. <laughs> but it is hard. I guess most of my career was in foreign affairs and not everyone had grown up in families who would regularly dine out with wealthy people. And when I was on posting to Taiwan, same thing, that you would host people for lunch or for functions, Australia Day functions, big events, and you had to make sure things were right. But, of course, I didn't grow up necessarily that way. <laughs> Yeah, You've got to think through all these things about the little subtleties, particularly, particularly when it's um, people who are influential or politically connected or quite senior. It's quite, it is actually quite a difficult thing to do if you haven't grown up in that environment. Yeah, I can imagine. So fortunately for me, I, I don't deal with politically sensitive people, just some very rich people yeah, or very successful businessmen. And you certainly had your own success as well. And I think what I really liked about the article that you wrote on LinkedIn, which is why I wanted to reach out, was that you really shared the problems and issues that you had when looking for work during the Asian financial crisis. And I think you had some really good advice for people that is quite applicable in this year when a lot of people are going through recessions and having trouble finding work. So what was it like at that time, finding work? Yeah, during the Asian financial crisis. So let let me just give you some background. So in 1996, I took my two years of savings from work and went to U- the UK to do my master's in finance. A few months before graduation, I started looking for jobs in London. I couldn't find any. And obviously, because I, I didn't have the right experience and also applying for visa for somebody without much experience, it's just not going to happen. So very quickly, I ran out of money. I prepared 10 months of funding for a one-year course. So <laughs> without money, without any hope of getting a job in, in London, I came back to, to Singapore only to, to meet the Asian financial crisis. You know, currency got weakened. The Sing dollar weakened from 1.4 to 1.8 against the US dollars. And I thought I should change strategies. So instead of looking for a front office uh, derivative structuring job, I decided to change to middle office. So I started looking for middle office job. And within a month, I, I found two jobs, in fact, one with a French bank and then another one with a regional bank. And I, I chose the regional bank, Standard Chartered Bank, because the boss really believed in me, uh, despite me not having uh, much experience in risk management. So he took me in 
and seconded me to London, knowing that I want to go back to London, seconded me to, to Hong Kong to widen my uh, experience. So I was very, very uh, grateful. And then the lesson I learned is sometimes we need to be flexible because we have already planned what we want to do. Then a crisis hit. And so we need to uh, make some adjustment for that. And that experience uh, with my boss back at Stanchart uh, lasted for four years. I left only after he resigned. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Although it's not the job that I wanted, but I was able to develop myself. I was able to make decisions that I wouldn't normally make because I, I was too scared. Right? But with a good boss, you dare to take the chance and my boss exposed me to such an international experience and assignment. I was working with people from the UK, people from Hong Kong, people from China, from India. It was just amazing. So sometimes taking one step back, you can gain in other aspects. If I've gone on to do the ideal job, then I'll be on my toes. I need to deliver the revenue. I, I wouldn't have the time and the luxury to develop myself. Wow, that's quite powerful. And a lot of it hinged on you having a good boss. I guess when most people are applying for jobs, they're sort of worrying about, are they going to like me? I mean, how is it important to think, am I going to like my boss? Am I choosing the place with the good boss? And, and how do you find out that sort of information? Yeah, I think you cannot find out. You can only find out after you started work for a few days. I have got bad bosses in my career. It is difficult to, to choose a good boss. I think it comes with a bit of luck. However, you can also do some uh, research. So for me in life is, if you get to work in a big organization, fantastic one, boss is not so great, then take advantage of the brand name that comes with that company. In other situations where you didn't have the opportunity to join a big company, but you have happen to have a good boss, then make use of that relationship, develop yourself, ask to take on different tasks. Either situation or scenario, you can take advantage of it. You can derive some benefit. So for me, my philosophy in life is a bit go with the flow. I have the big objective in mind where I want to go, but I'm not really fixated. If I can get to UBS, yeah, I'll go. If my boss is nasty, so be it. I'll leave. I'll outlast my boss. True <laughs> enough. You know, he left after like six, six to 12 months. I stay on for, for a total of six years. And um, it's okay. Then I, I, I got better boss afterwards. Yeah. And went on to become the managing director, no less. Yes. That was also very fortunate that I have the support of my colleagues as well as my clients. Most important, my clients really want to do business with me. And in banking, that counts a lot. Yeah, it does. It does. You have to have a lot of trust, I'm sure. Trust is key because a lot of my clients followed me for more than 10 years from bank to bank. And they really trust you. And so this brings me to another question, and this is something you've written about, so I kind of know the answer. You're there, you're managing director of UBS. Was it really important to look the part? Did you spend a lot of money trying to impress other people? You need to dress appropriately as a banker. There's a kind of a banker dressing. 
I'm always in my white shirt, navy blue suit. That's, that's all I wear all the time. It's, it's been like 10 years. If I show you my closet, you will be able to see a lot of white shirts. Well, I can actually here. see this, but we're not recording the video. But yeah. Eric did, in fact, open his wardrobe and there was a whole heap of white shirts hanging there. And he is wearing a white shirt and what looks very much yeah. like a navy suit as well. Yeah, so this is what I wear all, all the time. A doctor, you know, a medical doctor wears a gown, so a banker has got a banker's clothing and dressing as well. But for me, I, I wear a Timex. I, I don't wear a Rolex. My, my analyst was asking me, because my, when my analyst joined, he, he noticed that. He asked me why, why am I wearing uh, a Timex and not a a watch that fits an MD. To me, is I rarely notice what watch other people wear. Mm. And I don't judge people based on the watch they wear. Plus, already at the MD level, I should be judged based on my client base. I should be judged based on how I treat the junior people, as well as can I provide solution to my clients, not the watch I wear, and it, it doesn't, and I also don't want to uh, worry about my watch. You know, I travel so much and, and in the hotel, do you put your watch in the safe or do you wear it to sleep? <laughs> what happens if you leave it in the safe and then when you checked out, you know, at the airport, you realize that your watch is in the safe and then when are you going to come back again? So I think those is going to kill some brain cell. I, I rather not do that. So this this is me. This is this is this is me. I have very few pieces of clothes. I'm happy with them, and that's that's good enough. I don't even wear tie now. I I know among my colleagues, Hermes tie is uh, pretty standard. I, I'm laughing a little bit at this because I never thought about the whole implications of having a very expensive watch and do you sleep with it and do you put it in the safe but I did sadly have a good friend who had quite a lot of jewelry stolen from a hotel in London she believes it was probably an inside job she was insured but she'll never she never got the full value back and it was just devastating for her but coming through that it really radically made her rethink her relationship to needing expensive jewelry because she's like well I just don't need expensive jewelry I don't need that worry yeah, yeah. So assuming your watch is $10,000, so you lose 10000 plus, you lose sleep, you know, you will, not, you will be upset and then you lose time as well trying to find back that watch, making a police report, trying to accuse the housekeeping staff or you, you don't know who. Yeah, so mm, that's too, too much. I got too many other things to worry about. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. And I haven't actually ever owned a Timex watch, but for those listeners, you know, roughly how much are we talking? Singapore dollars or US dollars for a, a Timex watch? This is about 100 US. Yeah, I'm on my third Timex watch. I just look at a, a, my photo album. I, one I took about 15, 17 years ago, I was wearing my Timex watch then. So I was very surprised. I'm very consistent over the years. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like you're a poster boy for their brand, but it obviously tells good time and functions as a watch is supposed to function. 
yeah, for, for me, I uh, look at my watch uh, all the time, especially in the night. So I wear my watch to sleep. If I wake up like three, four or five in the morning, I need to know the time. So I need a watch that I can tell the time with, with a light. Yeah, and it, it obviously does what you want it to, which is the whole purpose of buying something for your needs, isn't it? <laughs> it's very reliable, yeah. We were talking earlier about the FIRE Financial Independence Retire Early movement, and I know you hadn't heard about them until recently, and you don't identify as FIRE. But do you have a different kind of philosophy about your own wealth creation strategy? Yeah, I um, read up about it financially independent, retire early. I have no intention of retiring early, but I do want to do what I like to do, maybe for less money. I think that that is fine. The way I live my life is I don't need to spend on things that are not necessary. Say, for, for example, in Singapore, car is expensive, then I'll just buy a cheaper car. So when I was living in Hong Kong, car is cheap, then I'll buy a, a better car. <laughs> right? If I want to go to a restaurant, expensive restaurant, I'll go for lunch. Set lunch is usually uh, much cheaper than going for dinner. I get almost the same experience. So this, this is what I, what I do. If, if the fish is cheaper today, I eat fish. If tomorrow prawn is cheaper, then I, I eat prawns. So I don't miss out. I just choose the different timing from other people. That makes sense. I used to notice, particularly when I was living in Taiwan and had a lot of business functions, that, yeah, the business lunches, they were. They were often the same meals, but priced quite differently. And then obviously you don't tend to drink as much alcohol and everything else with them. So it does actually end up being quite cheaper overall as well. Yeah. So I, I don't miss out in life by not spending. I still spend, you know, I was invited to give a talk at Cambridge University several years ago. I brought my family, I brought my wife, my kids. Yeah, we, we flew and we, we stayed in the hotel. Obviously, it costs money, but that's the experience for us to, to go to a university to, to speak, to be brought around by the students, to go into certain part of the universities, uh, not open to the public. So that experience, I find money come by unless you are invited guests. As a tourist, you, you can't have that experience. So that type of money I will spend. Wow, that must have just been such an amazing experience that you as a family will always remember. Yes, yes. We, we were treated very well. Yeah. That just sounds amazing. And can I ask, because I know that you are very passionate about education, especially for finance professionals, and you've obviously got your own family. What are the key things you teach to people about how they should manage their own wealth? what wealth means, what abundance means, how they should go about these things? I, um, I, I have an idea is uh, MMHH. Money, meaning, health, and happiness. You need some basic money, of course, to, to live comfortably. But the happiness that comes from money is only one type of happiness. You need happiness coming from meaning. You need happiness coming from your health as well. So when I teach people about happiness, I say, yeah, money can only bring you one type. You, you need other types. So you need to uh, look around. Because if you have money, of course, you can stay in the best hotel, eat the best food. 
but you still feel that something is missing. Mm. So once you reach a certain level, you, you will not enjoy that much. And then if the meaning aspect of your life is missing, then you feel that life is not complete. That's why uh, I encourage my, my followers, my readers to, to help other people, to be useful, to contribute, and also to enjoy the moment. Um, there was um, just a few months ago, uh, because of this lockdown, I have a lot of time to do my gardening. There was a plan um, that when I bought, it was doing well, but not, not really blooming. So after nine months, finally it bloomed. So that happiness that I got is about the same with the $1 million that I make from the stock market. Wow, that same level of happiness. Same level of happiness. So I, I was very amazed myself that I have already reached this stage. Of course, losing is a bit different. When you lose the flower, you don't feel much. When you lose $1 million, yeah, you feel a little bit more. But I, I, I didn't lose sleep because during this period, the stock market keeps going up and down. So I also find that there are some happiness that you can derive that you don't have to spend a lot of money. So I, I ask my readers to, to look out for those. There's also another story which I'd like to share. I was in Raffles Place in Singapore. So Raffles Place is the financial district. I went to queue up to buy chicken rice in, in Singapore. So there was a young man in front of me, this tall, young, in office where after he ordered his chicken rice, he asked how much. The shop owner said $5. So five Singapore dollars is the same as five Australian. He went on to check his uh, wallet. He has only $3. So they were looking at each other for a few seconds, kind of a silence. And I went ahead and took a $2 note. I passed it to the, to the chicken rice store owner. I, I know him pretty well. I just said I'll cover for, for this gentleman. And they were kind of a shock, both, both the owner as well as this young man. This young man said, can I give you, pay you back some other time? I say, it's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. So he, he, he was happy because he can eat his lunch. Otherwise, he might have to skip lunch. Then for me, I thought that was the best $2 I ever spent. <laughs> Imagine if I had bought, what can I buy for $2? Maybe a chocolate bar. Right, you enjoy that chocolate bar for a few minutes, and th that's it. But this two dollars give me the the reason to retell this story over and over again, and the happiness that you derive is intangible. I mean, it cannot be bought, cannot be measured by money. <laughs> that's that's why I say that some some happiness that we can derive is not the amount of money you have in a bank account. You're right. It's also what you do with your time how you treat other people, and your relationship. That's so deep and profound. It's probably not the wisdom I had expected you to share. I'm really glad that you did. And I have one final question for you. Do you have a frugalista tip to share? And I know you have several, so I'm going to be very interested to hear which one you choose. For me, one, one tip I, I practice is delay gratification. So I, I didn't buy my car until I was, my first car until uh, I was 32. I was living with, with my parents until early 30s. I mean, in, in Singapore, it's quite common to, to live with your parents. I didn't feel the, the need to, to, to splurge on car. And for me, I'm always doing this uh, arbitrage, which I, I was telling you earlier. 
you you don't you don't need to give up your enjoyment if you know when it is cheaper to buy those stuff. I think yeah, that that's 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 what I I do. Then of course I invest in a, a lot of real estate. At one point I was holding on to seven properties. I w- I became a mini landlord, and you know when when the tenant complains about the aircon, complains about the electric power socket. I know I I need to just go and fix it. So I decided to uh sell to to sell uh two properties and then invest in a real estate investment trust. So rather than having the day to day responsibility for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh REITs is really nice and um I when it comes to investment, I was very lucky. In two thousand and one, I uh bought my first Apple computer. I like it so much. I bought the stock as well, and I've been holding to those uh, stock till today, and it has performed uh, uh, very well. So that is also part of the reason why I can be financially independent. <laughs> Explains why you like Apple products so much, and you write about them as well. Well, Eric, thank you so much. Yes. It's been such a pleasure to hear your wisdom. Now I know you're big on LinkedIn. So where can people find you? Is LinkedIn the best? place yeah my name is eric sin if you type eric sin you should find me on on linkedin so the uh, listener out there i welcome you to follow me and also send me messages if you read an article that resonate with you you find useful you want to discuss further please you just need to let me know you have heard this podcast and you want to exchange some ideas very happy to receive those messages and i can say firsthand that he is very genuine and he does re- respond and reply and you never know what'll happen thank you so much once again and if you've enjoyed this podcast as much as i have please make sure you like it share it follow it comment on it thank you so much thanks uh, thanks for having me it's a great pleasure to to come here You've been listening to the joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. You gotta accentuate the positive feeling. And ain't the negative latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between.